Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Howdy, folks. I've got something different today. You might call it marketing a region using South Carolina as an example. My guest is an economist who has studied the factors that contribute to the growth of life science in that state. But it should also be interesting for companies to think about what they should be looking for as they grow, whether in the Palmetto State or elsewhere. Before we start, don't forget to check out my new podcast, CC Life Science, over on Substack, where I'm looking into AI and a bunch of other technologies in life science that don't involve Eppendorf tubes or culture plates or anything messy like that. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now, let's jump into it, shall we? Joey Von Nessen is a research economist at the Darla Moore School of Business at the University of South Carolina, where he specializes in regional economics, regional economic forecasting, and housing economics. Joey, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you, Chris. It's my pleasure to be with you. This, you are the first economist I've ever had on the podcast, I am sure. And uh, people well, probably I'm, I'm wonder- flattered by that. <laughs> <laughs> people are probably wondering. Anyway, so um, today we're going to talk about the life science industry in South Carolina with the intent of informing other up-and-coming regions that might be considering, you know, how do you attract the life science sector to their area or how do you enhance the growth of that sector so you recently gave a talk at sc bio and i want to give a shout out to jen oladipo for suggesting that i talk to you and to sam patrick for connecting us let's talk about the economic impact of life science on the south carolina economy as a starting point well we looked at what what we did was to take a comprehensive look at life sciences in South Carolina, both in an absolute sense, what is the size of the industry today and how has it been evolving over time, over the last decade and especially over the last five years or so. So that was really the goal. And not only to to do that assessment, but also to identify specific companies that are included in the life science industry. Because one of the goals of SC Bio is to understand the strengths and weaknesses of the cluster in the state to understand the needs of businesses and by identifying not just industry trends but also learning who the companies are and how they interact with one another and talking to them specifically it it obviously provides additional information and resources for them to generate strategic goals for growing the cluster more broadly as we look ahead to the to the 2020s so that was in a nutshell, our ultimate goal with this study, both in terms of looking at it from an economic perspective and from a strategic perspective by identifying companies and talking to them specifically about their needs. Nice. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought about that, but it makes total sense. So uh, before we go into it, let's start with some definitions because everywhere I go, whatever I mention life science, it means something different to different yes. people. So. For this study, how do you define it? So what we did was to break it down into two primary components. The first component we called the, or labeled the life science core, 
And the second component was what we called the life science ecosystem support. And the difference there is if you look at the core, what we call the life science core, those are basically firms where all of the business activity that they are engaged in uh, are, is primarily contained within the life science sector. And so all of their customer, all of their customers, all the, the different organizations that they work with and support completely enmeshed within, uh, within life sciences and life science related activities. And this primarily constitutes firms engaged in the production of life science materials. So this is going to be your major manufacturers, um, and also knowledge, the production of knowledge. So we think about R and D high tech R and D. And in both cases, this can either be in, in the direct production of these, uh, goods and, and, and services or, uh, indirectly through support, through, uh, through supply chains, tier one and tier two suppliers. So, so that's what we define as the life science core. And that's the majority of, of the impact when we, when we get in and we'll talk about the, the actual numbers, but that's probably 70% or so of, of the impact as a whole. The other 30% though, which we don't want to ignore is what we call ecosystem support. And that's all of the companies that also support life sciences, but the bulk of their business activity or a significant amount of their business activity is devoted to other industries as well. So they don't exclusively support life sciences. So to give you an example of what this might look like, you can think about a surgical and, and medical equipment manufacturing firm that is exclusively providing and, and manufacturing equipment for hospitals or physicians offices versus a textile manufacturer that might be producing bandages or swabs for a hospital system, but might also have a significant amount of demand for textiles that are completely unrelated to life sciences. So, so in the former, the, the surgical and medical equipment manufacturing firm would be in the core, whereas this textile manufacturer would be part of the ecosystem support. So both are important. We want to, we want to be comprehensive and count all of the economic activity that is supporting and producing life science related, uh, activity, economic activity. Uh, but at the same time, these are very different segments. And as a result, we need to make sure that we define them appropriately and disaggregate them in a way that, that makes sense. Right. Cause you don't want to double count, for example, in the support system, the entire size of that industry that belongs in another category. Exactly. And we also, when we're looking to identify these firms, we want to make sure that we are including firms in ecosystem support that would benefit from organizations reaching out to them like SC Bio and learning more about what their needs are. And sometimes you can have firms that if a sizable percentage of their business activity is not related to life sciences, they may be, it, it might be easy to, to overlook them. And so it's important to really get a comprehensive, a comprehensive look at who these firms are, the extent to which they're servicing life sciences. And again, from a strategic standpoint, so we can learn more about them and, and learn how to better strategize for growing the industry looking ahead. Yeah. Okay. So you, as you mentioned, have been studying the industry for a few years now, for at least the last five or so. Talk about the results of this study and how, um, based on that, the industry has evolved over a recent time period. Well, we see a, a very sizable impact for, for life sciences in, in South Carolina. And, and we can talk about why that's the case and the genesis of that demand. But 
in terms of the economic impact itself, what we find, first of all, when we identify the companies, we, we see that there are 1,033 firms that we identify in South Carolina as constituting the, the life science industry. And that supports 30,731 employees. That's, that's what we estimate the employment base is from those 1,033 firms. And from that, we can assess what the total economic impact of those companies are once you include not only their business activity, but also the multiplier effects that are associated with that, with that economic activity. So a, an economic multiplier effect is a way to think about all of these secondary impacts and iterative rounds of spending that occur following an initial spend with an individual company. So, so think about a, a life science firm. So maybe we go back and think about that medical equipment manufacturer. When they're in business, one of the things they have to do, of course, is spend money in the local economy in order to generate economic activity and generate their, their products. And they're going to be spending money both on, on goods and, and services and supplies, as well as on labor. So we can think about labor and non-labor expenditures as, as kind of the big two categories there. So for non-labor expenditures, where, they're, where, they're, where they are purchasing materials from suppliers and services from suppliers, they spend those dollars with suppliers, many of whom are located in South Carolina, and those suppliers themselves then see an increase in demand. And as a result, they have to purchase materials from their own suppliers who then have to purchase materials from their own suppliers and so on and so forth. So you get this iterative round of spending through the supply chain that starts with that initial set of expenditures by the manufacturing firm itself. And so that's what we call the supply chain multiplier or the indirect effect. And that generates a, a significant additional amount of economic activity locally. And then in a similar fashion, using the same, the same logic, we can think about all of the employees that are supported by that firm and those employees are paid wages they then spend their wages in the local economy and all the businesses that they spend their money with then see those same ripple effects as well they have to see an increase in demand they have to then purchase additional materials from their own suppliers hire additional workers and that iterative process begins again and so when those wages are spent that's where you see an increase in in an economic impact in the construction industry, let's say, or in retail or for restaurants, all local businesses and local services. So in the end, when you look at both the supply chain multiplier and that latter effect, what we call the household spending multiplier, that is the result of those wages being spent in the local economy, you add those two together and you, then you combine it with the direct spending that the, the company itself is doing and you get a very large economic impact that is far larger than just the impact of the, the life science companies themselves. And so when we put all that together and estimate this total economic impact, what we find is that in South Carolina, the total impact of the life science industry is uh, around $25.7 billion, and that supports about 87,000 jobs, so precisely 87,773 jobs in, in South Carolina. And just to put that in perspective, uh, we can look at the, the size of the, of the industry and think about how those multiplier effects really provide a way for the life science sector to scale up employment in the state. So the multiplier effect itself, we estimate to be 2.9. And, and that's simply the ratio of the total job creation 
relative, relative to the direct job creation. So we add in all of those secondary effects from the supply chain multiplier and the household spending multiplier, combine that with those, those direct employment effects from the businesses themselves, and you just take that ratio, the total employment divided by the direct employment, and we find that that ratio is 2.9. So what that means is that for every 10 jobs that we see created directly by life sciences and life science companies in South Carolina, a total of 29 jobs or 19 additional jobs are created elsewhere in the state's economy. And so that means that when we see the life science industry grow, that's, that's also generating additional significant amounts of secondary employment and secondary economic activity. And it turns out that the employment multiplier of 2.9 is a lot higher than the average multiplier in South Carolina, which is around 1.7. So, so life sciences expanding and growing really does bring up and expand the growth of South Carolina as a whole because these secondary effects are so much larger than they are for the average industry sector. So these, these, not only are these impacts large, but they also have these secondary effects as well that really benefits the state as a whole. Okay, excuse me. So I need a a short economics lesson here, perhaps, if it's possible. There must be some standard about how those multipliers are calculated. So first, just to understand, you said about 33,000 people employed in the industry. Does the 2.9, is that what gets us to the 87,000? That's exactly right, yes. And how do... How do you calculate those multipliers and how do you know that they're different for one industry as opposed to another? I guess, let me take a, a quick guess. So part of it is um, the supplies and so on that a life science company needs, to, aside from the company that's buying those, the medical device manufacturer, for example, uh, another person needs to be employed in the state to do that. And then beyond that, both of those people spending their money provides, you know, support for Joe walking down the street. Exactly. That That's exactly right. So if, if the easiest way to, to think about that, again, is, is the example of an individual company. So an individual manufacturer that when it increases the level of economic activity, the, the production that it is engaged in, it is purchasing more materials and supplies from its vendors. And many of those vendors are going to be located in South Carolina. And the, and one of the reasons the multiplier effect is larger, you're exactly right, is because life sciences tends to have in South Carolina, a larger supply chain that is located in South Carolina. And so that means that for every dollar that is spent with suppliers by a life science firm, more of the, a greater percentage of that dollar is going to be staying in state. And so that's going to generate higher, higher multiplier effects. Because from the state of South Carolina's perspective, if you have a company located in South Carolina, and let's say all of its suppliers or most of them are located outside the state, then those dollars from the perspective of South Carolina are lost, right? Because if, if you're purchasing materials from a company that's located, let's say, let's say in California across the country, well, that's great for California's economy because it supports those businesses, but it doesn't support any additional business activity in South Carolina. So it's important to have that local supply chain because that that generates those secondary effects at a at a higher rate. And and that's what we see in South Carolina 
And then the other piece, as you mentioned, is the fact that those employees, we have, we see those employees that are spending their wages. And in fact, life sciences in South Carolina offers the jobs associated with the life science sector pays an, a wage premium of 79% over the average South Carolina job. So they're earning more money and they're spending a significant percentage of it locally. So it's all about local spending, the dollars that are invested into the state's economy, as opposed to being spent outside of the state where, again, from the perspective of South Carolina, they would be quote unquote lost. Right. So what else do we need to know from the, the study and how the industry has been evolving over time? Well, the other takeaway from, from this report, when we look at what's been happening over the last several years, is just the rapid expansion of, of the industry itself. And if we look in the Southeast and put the, these numbers in context, we find that South Carolina has seen the fastest growing life science industry in the, since 2017 fastest in the Southeast. And one of the reasons for that is because it is a, a, a smaller industry and it's been really blossoming in, in recent years, uh, but also because of all the efforts of SC Bio and others and the, the infrastructure and competitive advantages that South Carolina offers that is a natural, uh, that makes South Carolina a natural fit for a growing, a, a, a growing life science industry. But Overall, again, since 2017, it's been ranked number one in terms of growth. And there are, and, and, and the major structural reason for that, which we can talk about is, is demand and the increase in, or the shift in the population demographics of the U.S. and how some of these broader demographic changes that we're seeing are especially acute in, in South Carolina because of where we are and, and because of, of some specific elements that are facilitating more concentrated shifts in demographics, meaning the aging of the population in South Carolina relative to, to elsewhere in the country. Right. Let's dig in a little bit and talk about those sources of demand. So there are primary two sources of demand, why we're seeing such a sizable growth rate in life sciences, especially in, in South Carolina. And it comes down to basic demographic factors. So there, so there are two elements that are happening or occurring simultaneously. The first is the general aging of the U.S. population, which also affects South Carolina. And the second is the in-migration rates in South Carolina specifically that are different from what's going on elsewhere in, in the U.S. So let's take the general aging of the population first. Of course, as we all know, baby boomers are, are aging out of the workforce now. They are rapidly approaching retirement age. And if we look at baby boomers across the board, uh, all of them will be over the age of 65 by the year 2030. And that means for South Carolina in particular that about one in five South Carolinians will be over the age of 65 by the year 2030. So with the aging of the, the baby boomers as a whole, that creates an older population base. And obviously an older population base is going to need more access to medical care and, and a variety of, of, of healthcare related services, which plays right into demand for the, the life sciences sector. But the other element that affects South Carolina more acutely is the immigration patterns that we are seeing. And South Carolina has seen significant in-migration in, in recent years over the past decade. And this includes the, the pandemic period as well. 
In fact, just in the last year, South Carolina was ranked second among all states, believe it or not, in terms of its rate of in-migration. Not, not the total number of people, but the in-migration rate itself. And we were second, if you can believe this, behind Idaho of, of all states. And, and, and the reason for that is because there are uh, a number of states in the, in the Midwest, closer to California, where we see a significant uptick in population as younger uh, uh, the younger working age population is moving away from the West Coast to less expensive metropolitan areas. So you think about Salt Lake City and Boise, Idaho, and Denver, Colorado, among among others. Um, so so Idaho being number one fits right into that that general trend that 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 we're seeing more broadly. But South Carolina ranks right behind that at at, at number two. And so when we look at the number of people moving in, why is that the case in South Carolina? Well, it turns out because South Carolina has long promoted itself as a retirement destination. And there are a lot of advantages for retirees moving to South Carolina. Among them are good weather, good quality of life, a lot of natural amenities, and a very low cost of living relative to many other states, particularly in the New England region, which is where we see a lot of our immigrants coming, coming in from. But as a retirement destination, when we look at the actual numbers, we find that about two in three, or about 67% of the in migrants to South Carolina are over the age of 55. So from a, a demand perspective, a healthcare demand perspective, that means that we are seeing an older population, an increase in, in an older population at a faster rate relative to the, the national average. And again, that's generating this higher level of, of healthcare demand as a whole. That's not unique to South Carolina. That's happening in, in the Southeast more generally, uh, but it's, it's largely concentrated in South Carolina. So when you look at the demand in the region and you couple that with South Carolina's other competitive advantages that, that we can talk about for, for infrastructure and for the specific geography, uh, workforce initiatives, those types of things, when you put all that together, South Carolina becomes a real ideal location for for growth in, in life sciences long-term. And, and, and that's, that's what we're seeing. I'm curious about, um, talk about the components of life science and comparison to the rest of the Southeast region with respect to South Carolina. So the, the components of life science can be broken down into, I would say two primary areas that we, we can think about. One is, is production and manufacturing and construction, and we can call that production in, in for uh, a shorthand term there. Uh, the other is high-tech R&D. And so if we think about those two, two components as a whole, production is typically the largest component of the life science industry, uh, which is normal because this is the, the actual production of, 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 of goods, goods and services. But that, this is where we think about pharmaceuticals or uh, PPE, which we've all become very, very familiar with in, in the last uh, two years because of the pandemic. So production is, is the primary component there. Um, but high-tech R&D is, is another element. And, and that's especially important for when we're looking at growing the industry over time in South Carolina or any other region that's looking to grow life sciences. Uh, because when you see more high-tech R&D, that's going to generate significant a significant amount of high-wage, high-skilled positions, which helps boost what we call the knowledge economy. And that is a segment of the economy that across the country tends to 
generate high rates of growth for every region that it has a presence in. So in other words, if we look across the country and we say, what are the characteristics of local regions that are growing at the fastest rates right now and have been for the last decade? They're regions that have a strong presence of the knowledge economy. So the any, any industry sector that requires innovation, coming up with new ideas and then commercializing, commercializing them in the marketplace. And so as we increase the high-tech R&D component of life sciences, that is right in the heart of that knowledge economy. And that helps to generate and support and create and nurture uh, a region and a location that can foster higher rates of, of long-run economic growth. So that's where we see the highest value add going forward in terms of being able to generate that segment and, and expand that segment of the, of the life science industry moving forward. And it turns out that's also the area where we see the highest projected industry growth likely in South Carolina in, in the coming decade. So if we look at, for example, research and testing and, and, and medical laboratories and, and a bunch of subcategories uh, in terms of the specific industry subsets that are likely to grow at the fastest rates, they are very much enmeshed in, in R&D. And that's, that's very good news for South Carolina and, and good news for the Southeast as a whole. But it really puts South Carolina in a, in a good position going forward. So tying those two things together that we just talked about, the increase in demand because of an aging population and the immigration as people retire, as um, and then connecting that to um, the potential for or the existence of a large knowledge economy segment, um, that that's a huge opportunity. Um, but as the population ages, companies are going to need to think about workforce growth yes. strategies for the yes. next decade. And that's another area where we find a challenge for, for these companies. So we, we talked about before how one of the things that we did in this study was to reach out and identify these companies and try to get more perspective from them on what their needs are. And what we found was that on the positive side, South Carolina is very strong in, in, its, in its competitive advantages with respect to general infrastructure in terms of having a, a port. So the, the Charleston port, which is, is located, uh, of course, in South Carolina. We have a good uh, highway system that provides access to the entire or to, to the Eastern seaboard very easily. So manufacturing in South Carolina becomes very advantageous because of that infrastructure, the ability to import and export goods through the port and send that to the, the, uh, throughout the rest of the country. We have a very strong technical college system that has, is nationally recognized in terms of its ability to connect with businesses directly, understand what they are looking for in terms of skill sets and helping to, to train South Carolinians and, and meet that demand. So helping South Carolinians uh, meet, meet employer demands. Um, and it's, it's geographical advantage itself where South Carolina is located because we are in a location within the country where we expect to see the highest rate of population growth over the next two decades. The, the Southeastern United States is likely to see or is projected to see 
more gains in population relative to uh, the rest of the country. So that means more consumer demand overall, especially for, for, for healthcare products. So that, that's all on the, the positive side, but you're exactly right with this aging uh, demographic as well, that creates significant workforce challenges. And that's what uh, these companies are telling us. In addition to, to being uh, very aware of the advantages that, that I just mentioned, they're also very aware of these workforce challenges. And that's going to be increasingly a challenge for, for South Carolina and, and for the U.S. One of the things that we're seeing more broadly, if we step outside of life sciences and just look at the economy as a whole, as we all know, is that these labor shortages that we're currently experiencing are everywhere. They're in every industry sector. And that's something that we see as, a, as an economic issue not going away as we recover from COVID. This is likely to be a bottleneck on growth, I think, for the U.S. for the next decade, and especially so in South Carolina, given what we've talked about with the, the migration patterns and the fact that South Carolina tends to skew older in its population relative to uh, the nation as a whole. Companies, life science companies are very much aware of this, and they are, they are struggling to find workers, especially in production and manufacturing, less so in the R&D space, uh, because those companies tend to be smaller. They have lower turnover rates. Um, so, so it's not all companies. It's, it's more on the production side. But that's why any organization that is looking to, in any state, looking to nurture their own life science industry or nurture any sector really can benefit from uh, using South Carolina's technical college system as, a, as an example of how to, how to generate programs, workforce programs, apprenticeship programs, and others um, that respond to the needs of businesses and that have done it successfully for, uh, for years. So that, that, that's a key advantage that South Carolina offers, and it's going to become more important. Uh, because these these labor shortages are not going away. And again, I, I see that as a, a major bottleneck for, for growth in South Carolina's economy and to a large extent for the U.S. for the next decade. Yeah, so it sounds like I mean, your technical college system is a big contributor. Are there other factors besides, and you've mentioned the port and um, other elements that have been help make you successful. Are there others that support a growing life science industry in the state? Yes, I think we can we can look at the competitive advantages from from again dividing up life sciences in this case into production and manufacturing, uh, kind of that broad subsector and R and D high tech R and D is the other. So from a manufacturing and production perspective, uh, the advantages that South Carolina offers, and it's not unique to South Carolina, but but South Carolina certainly is a, a has a major competitive advantage here. Um, number one is in land availability. So just South Carolina is a more rural state in, in general, again, relative to the national average. And so when you're a manufacturer, what are you looking for? Well, one thing you're looking for is an abundance of, of physical space uh, where you can develop uh, infrastructure and physical buildings, right, for, for manufacturing products. So, so that's going to be important. Um, you're also infrastructure, as, as I mentioned, how, how these manufacturers then can tie into a railway system, a port system, uh, an interstate system to distribute goods uh, throughout a region that has a high population and a high demand, the southeast. So that's, that's, a, that's another advantage that we can look at from a, from a manufacturing standpoint. A more general business climate uh, that is positive is also going to be very important. And that, that, that is everything from uh, looking at 
lower, lower taxes. That can be looking at different types of, of infrastructure support that the, the local region provides for these, these companies coming in and a responsiveness to the needs of the companies themselves. Part of that is workforce as well. And the degree to which these companies can integrate with, uh, with the local community and make sure that the, the needs that they have are, are able to be met by the local community and that they're, and that they are responsive. Um, so, so that from a, a manufacturing and production perspective is, is important. And then from an R and D perspective, we can think about the importance of being connected to a university system, more of a, a, a four year and two year. Uh, university system um, and the ability to to train these workers uh, to be able to have the 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 skills they need for innovation and commercialization again for that knowledge economy um, component and to and to grow that over time so uh, so so r and d becomes important and and the connection to a tech hub is is also critical now this is changing on on the r and d side. A little bit because of of the of the pandemic in a post pandemic world now, where working remotely is more a professional norm uh, for many positions, then the physical location may not be quite as as important to an R and D hub. Um, obviously, there's going to be a lot of 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 work that and and when when you talk about lab research um, that is very much in person, but perhaps not quite as as tied to uh, to geographics as it as it once was, so there may be a, a bit of a, a movement in that space going forward. But generally speaking, I think when we're looking at the competitive advantages, again, you, if you break it down into the the, the needs to develop high tech R and D and the needs to develop manufacturing and production, and that's that's the best way to think about it if you're looking to grow the industry over time. Nice. So I'm going to finish up with one last question, and this is what struck me most uh, about your talk at SC Bio, because um, in the world I come from, we typically think of big university clusters in biotech around Boston and RTP and here in San Francisco and San Diego, but that's only part of the value chain. And as you've mentioned, um, manufacturing and production are separate things, and um, I hadn't always thought about it that way, but certainly you can do research one place and actually produce your goods and services somewhere else. So what other infrastructure can be a good starting point for a growing life science sector? So what I'm thinking about is if you, even if you don't have a university or a tech hub or tech colleges, um, there are other elements that might be attractive. Yes, to- and, and, and you could build that over time as well. So if you're looking to grow a life science industry, then if you look at, if you have a, a more rural area where you can potentially attract a manufacturer, you're going to need a, a, a workforce and you're going to need the ability to train that workforce. And so the, a, a first step is to establish what that process would look like begin to attract those manufacturers, connect them with, uh, with, with workers, and then expand from there. Then, then you can think about moving up the value chain with respect to, to high-tech R&D. Are you located close to a, uh, a major research hub? So uh, South Carolina has developed um, and is in the process of developing uh, more and more high-tech R&D with our, with our 
our university systems. So if you look at the University of South Carolina, you look at Clemson University, uh, you look at MUSC, uh, the Medical University of South Carolina and others, uh, we've seen strong movement in that direction, as well as the fact that we are relatively close to, uh, to Raleigh-Durham, another area where there's, there's a lot of R&D uh, tied into life sciences and uh, among other sectors. So it's, it's really a combination and, and figuring out what your, what your competitive strengths are. And in South Carolina, uh, we do have a lot of, of growth in, in the R&D space, taking advantage of our, our university system, of other um, R&D hubs that are within our, our geographic proximity, and taking advantage of the fact that we've got good infrastructure that can and, and a very uh, rural landscape, again, relative to the national average. And, and so that, that puts us in a very strong position. We've got some advantages in a lot of different areas and so when you stack those advantages together, uh, all of a sudden you've got a, you've got a, a really good mix for, for strong growth in, in life sciences. So, so that's where we are. And I think that any region that's looking to grow in, in the life science space needs to, do, needs to take a similar approach, determine what their competitive advantages are, how can they stack those in a way that makes sense to grow in the areas that are, um, that, where they have the biggest advantage. Uh, because every region has some uh, some advantage. You just have to discover what it is and then figure out a way to apply that in, in, in the appropriate fashion. But South Carolina is in a, a very strong position for life sciences, I think, as we look, look to the future. All right. Well, this has been super fun. It just occurred to me that um, even though we just talked sort of economics, well, the other thing we're really talking about here is marketing a region. Yes. Right? And yes. how do you attract all the elements that you need um, to grow, grow a segment, but you're really trying to sell people on where you are. Yes. And, and I like to think of economics, uh, or economics and marketing is in a sense, two sides of the same coin. You have to, you have to understand your, the economic landscape that you find yourself in. And that includes understanding your competitive advantages, your strengths and your weaknesses. It, it has to do with understanding how your local economy ebbs and flows with respect to how we're seeing changes in the national and international landscape. And, and only once you have a good understanding of, of that can you begin to use those competitive advantages that you identify to target specific industries and, like you said, begin to market your region. Um, because in a, in a sense, a region is, is, in a very important sense, no different from a, a specific business. You have to go out and sell your product. And, and when you're in a local region, what is your product? Well, it's the competitive advantages that, that your region offers. And you can sell your region to different companies, just like a company is looking to sell a product to its, its consumers. So it's, it's the same strategy, just applied in a slightly different way. Um, but that's really the core, or one of the core tenets of economic development is thinking about how to market your region in an appropriate way um, so that you can grow at, at uh, at, at the best rate and, and in the most appropriate way for, for your region. Nice. Well, Joey Van Nussen, this has been uh, super fun for me. Is there someplace um, people can go if they want to learn more, connect with you, whatever, a link yeah. I can put in the show notes? Yes. Yeah, so there are two places uh, for anyone interested in, in the study. They can go to, uh, and we can put that on, um, I guess, Chris, you can Put that on your website, but they can go to the SC Bio website to see the results of the study. It's broken down there. They can see all the results that we've talked about today. 
And they can also go to the University of South Carolina website as well um, if they're, they have more interest in uh, the, the research that we do in our division of research where we primarily engage in uh, what I like to call so what economics. And I, I, I use that term, I always use that term half jokingly, but, but to, to make a serious point that we are conducting applied economic research and we're trying to use economic data to help businesses and other organizations make good strategic decisions. Um, and you can't make a good strategic decision until you understand the economic landscape as we were talking about. So we try to provide good information on that landscape to help different organizations uh, be able to, to, to form strategic goals and, and then to execute on them. Um, so uh, people can learn more about that uh, at our website and about the work that we do as well. Nice. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. It's been my pleasure. That was a treat for me. I hope you found it informative as well. The audience for this might be someone in your company that isn't a marketer. Maybe it's someone you know outside your company. Please do me the favor of sharing it with them. I can't promise you'll get a promotion, but you will have my undying gratitude. Feel free to drop me a note and tell me you did that so I can thank you personally. Or just drop me a note anyway. I'd love to meet you. Until next time, bye-bye.